We are in the third week, we're wrapping up a short series called Different God, where we've been looking at um, God in the Old Testament. Often there is a division in place, and it's, it's not a new one, it's one that cropped up even early um, among the followers of Jesus, of like, they would look at the New Testament and see Jesus and be like, ah, I really like that guy, you know, and if that's what God looks like, I'm in. And then they would look at the Old Testament and go, ah. Um, I don't know about all of that. And so there, early on, there was uh, these attempts to separate um, in some places and in, among some leaders, like the Old Testament from the New Testament. Is that a different God? Did God go to anger management and come out Jesus? Like, how did this work out? And, um, and one of the things that we see in Jesus is how much he affirms the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament was his Bible. That is, is the scripture that he grew up memorizing and soaking in. And when Jesus experiences difficulty and pressure, what comes out of him? The Old Testament is what comes out of his mouth. The Psalms, quoting Isaiah, and even when he's uh, being tempted in the wilderness, it's, it's Leviticus and Deuteronomy that come out of his mouth to give him strength and to fend off evil. And so we just wanted to take a few weeks and look at um, a couple of places in the Old Testament where we, where we see the heart of God that points us to Jesus. Remember the Bible, as one of my uh, favorite teachers says, is a, is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And today I, I just, I wanted to pull out a story from scripture that I have just always loved. It's just always been on my heart and close to my heart um, and kind of keeps me tender, you know, and uh, I, I want to get there, but, but first just to kind of set some context, and one of the things, by the way, that I love about the Old Testament is, is the story and kind of the narrative. Not that it's easy, it's actually can be quite challenging sometimes, um, and the people of God are, are so messy and so dysfunctional, and every now and then they get it right, and like most of the time they don't, and, and there's all of this stuff going on. It can seem very like Game of Thrones or Middle Earth or something like that, like all these names and places we don't understand, kings and wars and all of this context um, can be a little hard to wrap our heads around, but I, I've, I've found real joy in like learning it and diving into it um, and kind of getting a sense of, of what it is uh, that's happening. And so to kind of lead us up to where I want to talk about today, just if we could talk about how God's people Israel, like these people are his rescue plan for humanity and for the world. And he, he rescues them out of slavery from Egypt and makes a covenant with them through a leader named Moses, who among other things um, has this uh, construction plan for them where they construct what's called the tabernacle, which is a, a temple, um, but it's made out of cloth and it's on poles um, so that they can carry it with them through the desert. And at the center of this tabernacle, this, this um, porta temple, is, is the, the Ark of the Covenant, um, which if you grew up you know, in the 80s and 90s like me, the first thing that comes to mind is, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones and melting Nazis and all kinds of stuff like that, right? And, uh, but, but there's this, like, th this is the centerpiece. This is the um, object that the Jewish people have, the Israelites have. This is the place that God says, I will meet you there. God's presence lives 
above the ark. And as he looks down on what is inside um, the ark, among other things, is the broken tablets of the law that Moses carried down from, from the mountain. And so when God's presence looks down on a broken covenant, what he sees is the sacrifice that the priest brings every year. And so what stands between God's holy presence and a broken covenant is a sacrifice that makes atonement for our sins. And and in this space, God says, I will meet you. This will be the sign that I'm with you. You are to carry the ark with you. Everywhere it goes, that is where I will be. You are to treat it holy. There's a priest who is going to carry a sacrifice once a year into the temple. And if the priest has any sin, what happens to the priest? Anybody know? He's dead. He's dead. How would you like that job? There, there's like reports that they would, they would tie bells on the guy's robe and a rope around his feet. So if he crashed in there and God struck him dead, they could reel him out by the rope and be like, who's next? You know, long line of people waiting for that job. What are we doing with Bob here? I don't know. Your turn. And the ark was this place that they were supposed to come and meet with the Lord in the tabernacle, and they get into the land of Israel, uh, and they, they are led by these people that we call the judges. Uh, several years ago, we did a series um, on the judges, and I think it was maybe one of my favorite series we've ever done, top, top three, maybe. Part of why I love it, because it's wild. Like, what goes on in the book of Judges is absolutely bonkers. And, um, and the, the, this leader would, would raise up, um, the God would raise up a leader and get this dysfunctional people back in line. They would worship God again. They would drive out the enemy. Um, and then they would kind of spiral. And each judge gets a, generally a little bit worse than the one before it. And the book of Judges ends in, in, like in despair, like at this nation of Israel that are God's people, the people he's using to save the world. It ends in despair and it says, everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes in Israel. And the, the ark has been parked at a place called Shiloh. Um, the, the tabernacle, this cloth temple, has been parked like 20 miles north of Jerusalem where it lives for like 300 years. Um, and, and you get the sense that it kind of turns into more of like a, like a shrine than a temple, more of like a, like a piece of religious furniture than a place where people go to meet God's presence, like a place of obligation rather than a place of life. And and when Judges ends so down and it looks like there is nothing happening, all of these great leaders and these great warriors and these people that had like amazing titles and lots of strength, they can't save the nation. And what, what goes on is, this is just, oh my gosh, how much time do I have here? I mean, come on. It zooms in on the book of Ruth. And it comes to a Gentile, a widow, a woman on the margins. A woman who has no rights and no power. And God uses her to become the great-great-grandmother of David. And rescues his plan through this woman who offers nothing other than her desperation to the Lord. And then after Ruth, it zooms in on another woman another woman who is broken and powerless. And she is married to a man who loves her, who also has another wife. Can we just say this is a bad idea? 
doesn't go well. And this other wife is having children and she is taunting Hannah and crushing her sense of identity that she has nothing to offer the family or the future. And Hannah, you can sense that her soul has just been through the ringer on this. She's, she's a broken and desperate woman. And they, they, come, they come to the, the temple, um, the tabernacle, the, the shrine um, in Shiloh, where the, where the ark is. David will later lead the ark to Jerusalem. It's, it's not there right now. And the, the tabernacle is being run by a, by a priest named Eli. Now, my general sense with Eli is that's the best you got. I mean, this guy is not impressive. This guy is not impressive. He seems kind of like checked out. Have, have you ever gone um, maybe to a restaurant or to stepped up to a counter of any kind to receive service, and you could tell that that person hasn't rebooted interest in a long time? You know, and you almost want to turn it into a little counseling session. Like you start, like, I'd like a number two with no pickles, and then you kind of end up with, like, are you okay? You need someone to talk to. And Eli seems like that kind of high priest. He just, he gets it sometimes. Most of the time he doesn't. And he has some sons that, by the way, the Bible refers to as scoundrels is the word that it uses for them. They get, they get drunk in the tabernacle. They sleep with the women who are serving there. Um, they, they, are, they are a mess. Um, and they will inherit um, the tabernacle. If nothing else changes, by the way, it does. They die. Skip that whole bit. Okay. Um, Hannah comes to the temple, tabernacle, and she starts with her brokenness, just pouring out to the Lord. And in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, in verse 10, it says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And as she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. We'll come back to that later. She kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. This is insult to injury, right? Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli apologizes. He says, I'm so sorry. He gives her a blessing. You get the sense that he's like, whoo, man, did I really step in it today? You know, he's trying to like back out. And in verse 19, it says, early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah, her husband, made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Shmuel, the, how we, we say Samuel, Shmuel, um, sounds like the Lord heard me. 
She, she names this little boy, the Lord heard me. And when he turns probably about three, um, she takes him to the temple and gives him to Eli for Eli to raise him in the temple serving the Lord there. What a woman. What a woman. She has always inspired me. Like this, she just doesn't let um, life um, cracking her and beating on her turn her away from the Lord. It pushes her towards the Lord. But, but there's this sense of like she feels lost internally. The nation feels lost externally. And, and kind of we come to where I, I want to dive in today. And it's worth, ask, worth asking before we start. Have you ever felt like your life was off track? Like maybe in a big way, like there was this moment, you know, when it went from going in the right direction to we are now going in the wrong direction. Or more often, have you ever like woken up one day and realized that your life has been off track for quite some time? And maybe not in dramatic fashion. Like, look, the the temple, the tabernacle is still functioning in Israel. It's not that everything is gone It's that nobody seems to care. It's that the heart, the heart of we were made to be with the Lord is gone from his people. It seems like this perfunctory thing that they like remember sometimes almost by accident. And and religion, worship, sacrifice has just turned into this thing that's more tied maybe to even like their cultural identity than to their experience with the God who saved them. And they've, they've just gotten off. And it's interesting that it's this, it's this woman who calls out to the Lord that's the only one in the whole picture that is really chasing him. And, and this boy, Samuel, Shmuel, that grows up working for Eli, I mean, like, what would, what would you think about handing your three-year-old to, to Eli, given what you know about him, to be like, you're going to be granddad now, you know? Any, any grandparents here, you, you, like, you love being with your grandkids, and then you hit that point of, like, time to go home, <laughs> right? Here's an ice cream. Go to mom. And um, Eli never gets that chance, right? He, he is, because he stuck his foot in his mouth a few years ago, he is now raising a baby boy. And uh, in chapter 3, this just, these words just capture my attention. Verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered or served before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. Did you know that sometimes God gets quiet? Have you ever experienced that, that God gets quiet? First of all, I think it, it is worth um, noting that the reason why that's in there is because what should be normal for the people of God is to experience God's voice. That is the normal, that is the default of the people of God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and it should be normal for us to be able to experience the presence of God and hear his voice speaking into our lives through his word, um, through times of worship, through times of seeking him in prayer, through silence, through fasting, when we pursue the voice of God. And what should be normal, a marker uh, of the people of God, if Jesus is to be taken seriously, by the way, and especially in the book of John, would be that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd and that we would respond to him. Jesus says over and over and over again that I will speak to you and you will know my voice and you will follow me. It is normal for Christians 
to hear the voice of God Almighty and to respond to him. That, that's like the default setting of people who were disciples of Jesus. So if, if that has been missing from your life, maybe, maybe there's something here for you today. But in this time, it says the voice of the Lord was rare. Have you ever been in a room maybe with like kids that aren't paying attention and the teacher, instead of yelling over the crowd, has a different trick in their bag? Maybe what do they do? They get quiet. They get quiet to try to get attention. Maybe they're seeing who wants to, who wants to lean in. Who wants to lean in right now? You know, why, why do we whisper? We whisper to get people to draw close. Right, not to push people away. We, whis- we whisper to get people to draw close. And in general, if I had been thinking ahead, I would have had like a graphic made and all that. Um, but in general, our, our spiritual growth happens in a cycle, if we could call it that, like a movement um, of, of simplicity where we understand things and how the world works to complexity where things get a little fuzzier to perplexity where it's like everything kind of falls apart and God seems like he's not there and we don't know what's going on and we thought we knew how the world worked and we clearly don't. And then that brings us, if we keep going, to humility which takes us to a new kind of simplicity and we keep moving. And often what happens is when people get to perplexity, when God gets quiet, they think God is gone or God doesn't care or God isn't being very helpful to them anymore. And what God is offering us is the chance to draw close in our perplexity. In our missing God's voice, he's inviting us to come close. God getting quiet is always an invitation to transformation. It's an invitation to transformation to lean close and wait for his voice. But God's people, they have done what many of us do, right? Which is they just think that God's not doing his part and so I'll just kind of figure out life on my own. So the temple gets run like a bunch of people running a temple. Awesome. That's a real blessing to the world. You know, a bunch of people doing religious stuff. Everybody know how much life there is in that? You know, the people of Israel have forgotten that God wants to speak to him, and instead of drawing close, they thought, well, that vending machine doesn't work. I guess we'll go find our own food. And they've kind of abandoned seeking the voice of God. Maybe we could say they have forgotten that they have forgotten the voice of God. They have forgotten that they have forgotten the voice of God. It's not even on their radar anymore. Just to to pick it up with Samuel, The voice of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. In verse three, it says, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was laying down in his usual place. So we have this old, rather frail, kind of checked out blind man sleeping in one part of the tabernacle. It says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel, listen to this, was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and Samuel answered, here I am. The last time we heard instructions about what you're supposed to do with the ark in the tabernacle, is Samuel supposed to be in there? No! 
He's not supposed to be in there. Maybe he's working. Maybe he's taking care of the lamp. We don't know. But, but he has like snuggled up to the Ark of the Covenant and fallen asleep in the presence of God. And by all intents and purposes, the law of God says he's not supposed to be there. He is breaking some kind of law. Maybe he should be dead. And God doesn't care. Doesn't care. And when the voice of the Almighty that hasn't heard, been heard for years, breaks the silence, the word comes to a boy who is sleeping in his presence who says, I don't have anywhere else to be than at your feet. I don't have anything else to do but to serve and worship you. I want to minister before you, God. I want, I want to be with you. I want to be at your feet. I want to fall asleep at your presence. The, the story that I just can't help but pull up on my mind is when Mary sits at the feet of Jesus listening to his word and Martha comes out because, listen, sitting at the feet of Jesus, that means you're his disciple, right? This is all kinds of culturally scandalous. You're not supposed to be doing that. You are a woman. We keep coming back to this theme. And, and Martha comes out and he goes, and she says, can you get her to come in the kitchen where she is supposed to be and Jesus says Martha Martha your sister has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her and this woman she's at the foot of the cross she comes to the empty tomb and she is ordained as the first preacher of the resurrection to the knucklehead disciples who were hiding in fear It's the one who sits at his feet and just won't leave. And Samuel, snuggled up to the ark in the presence of God, and he hears the voice, Samuel, Samuel. God skips everybody. He skips skips all the authorities. He skips the high priest. He skips the high priest's dumb sons. And he goes straight to this boy, who, by the way, when, when his mama dedicated him, she made him what's called a Nazarite. Different than the town of Nazareth, different Hebrew word. Um, Nazir means to be like devoted or, or set aside. Um, and a Nazarite w- was, among other things, to, to never have a drink of alcohol, was to never cut their hair, um, and was to be devoted to the presence of God. And it always comes up um, around like these key turning points, like John the Baptist is like the other Nazarite that went well um, in, in the Bible. Um, uh, Samson was supposed to be one, remember the the hair thing? And it didn't go well. And so this boy, among other things, look, just picture him. He is this wild boy raised by a checked out granddad figure who has never had a haircut before shampoo was invented. So you got this like wild haired, got no father, My mama comes and sees me once a year. She loves me deeply, but I don't got a mom. I don't got a dad. Like, you you know, have you ever met preacher's kids? (laughs) You know he was a little like that. A little little wild. No haircut. There there was no, am I allowed to say, there was no, like, straight hair running around ancient Israel. Right, like this is like fro, dreadlocks, I don't know. Is this the picture of who you think God's voice comes to? Because if it's not, maybe we're missing something. And God skips all the right people, 
all the right people with positions and titles and they've spent time studying and they're, they're a pastor, they're a priest, they've been in God's presence, they've been ordained, they've been, and God skips all of them and he goes to this wild-haired, no father, no mother boy who's cuddled up in his presence. And he says his name. Just picking up the story. Whew. Samuel, he says, he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went to lay down. Again, the Lord said, Samuel. And Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, which by the way, that phrase, here I am, is a specific Hebrew phrase that's the posture of a servant. Um, it's, it's like, you called, right? Um, and, and so he, here I am, I'm, I'm ready to serve. He says, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Even though God had not done something for him, Samuel was pressing in and wanted to give God something, mainly his attention and his ministry. A third time, verse eight, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went to lay down in this place. Now listen to these words. The Lord came and stood there. But what does that even mean? What is, what is that? The Lord stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. That, that this, this young boy, his tender heart is used to wake up the hard heart of this old man. Right? This old man who is no more tuned in to God's presence than anybody else, which, by the way, was his job. His one job, his one job was to be attuned to the presence of God. And he misses it over and over and over again. You can sense, like, his frustration building. You know, this boy popping in going, you called? And he's like, get out of here, right? And, you know, over and over and over again until finally he goes, oh, th this is God speaking. He should have been the first to know. But Samuel's tender heart and pursuit of the Lord is what wakes up his like crusty, rusty, hardened heart. That when somebody snuggles up in the presence of God and presses in and won't leave him alone until they hear his voice, when that person who says, I'm not leaving until I hear a word from God, I'm not gonna figure this out on my own, I'm not gonna do this on my own, my one job is to be attuned to the presence of God. When that person shows up in everyone else's life, there's really two roads. We can say, that's too much, you're too weird, I was just kind of doing the religious thing because I thought it was useful and kind of nice and socially acceptable and helped us be moral and whatnot, right? I mean, God is there, but he's not like there, you know? That's one option. The other option is when that person shows up in our life is to let our heart be soft and to say, God is moving. God is moving, I wanna participate in that. And Eli starts offering the first words of wisdom that he offers in the whole story. He says, go back and offer the Lord your service. 
offer the Lord your service. Um, Tim Keller, who passed away two months ago, my heart is still kind of heavy about that. He, he said this several different ways, but um, s- several different times he said something to the effect of religious people find God useful. Growing Christians find God beautiful. Religious people find God useful, but growing Christians, they find God beautiful. In Samuel, he just finds God beautiful. He's not trying to get a thing from the Lord. He's just trying to be in the presence of the Almighty who loves him and just wants to be with him. How are you today with that? Are you a religious person who finds God useful, helpful in your life? Or are you a growing Christian who finds God beautiful? I adore you. I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. And and when God shows up and says, Samuel, Samuel, which by the way, just a little tidbit that gets me so excited. That was, those are Samuel's mom's words coming back to him from the mouth of God. When, When she names him, she says, the Lord has heard me. And then God shows up like a generation later, right, years later, and speaks to Samuel the words that his mom spoke to him. And he says to Samuel, I heard you, I heard you. Whew. And what do you think Hannah would rather have? As a good mom, would she rather have heard the voice of the Lord break through to her or as a gift to her one and only son that she gave to the Lord? God shows up and he says, I hear you, I hear you. And Samuel says, here I am, Lord, posture of a servant. That this person who finds God beautiful, they show up and they say, God, whatever it is you want, the answer's yes. Ahead of time, the answer's yes. What do you want to do with my relationships? The answer's yes. What do you want to do with my finances? Answer's yes. What do you want to do with my time? What do you want to do with my sexuality? What do you want to do with my relationships with my family? What do you want me to do with my neighbors? What do you want me to do with everything I own? The answer is yes, by the way. Just ahead of time, the answer is yes. Lord, what do you want? Because they're not trying to get something from God. They're just trying to be in the presence of the beautiful God of the universe who has given everything for them. Jesus offers us this kind of life, right? He says, everyone who follows me must take up their cross, deny themselves, right? I mean, that's the, that's the I, will, I will say yes to you, Lord. And in the middle of that, we find resurrection. That there's where the gospel is. It's not about what can God do for me. It's about how can I give him my life? How can I give him everything I have? You know, one, one little phrase that has always just, it's not bad, it's just kind of, you know, I have a little bit like a rock in my shoe about it, is the I invited Jesus into my life. That's not bad, but it definitely puts us in the position of like being in control. Like Jesus knocked and we opened the door and we're like, I'm so glad you knocked. Why don't you come in? Um, You can sit there in my life. He's not looking to come into your life. He's looking to take it over. Right? He's not really looking for you to invite him into your life. He's inviting you into his. How do you think 
about the God who died for you, who pursued you all the way to the cross, all the way to the empty tomb, and to stand before God the Father on your behalf. How do you think about him as useful? Maybe one way to think about that is if, is if you aren't seeking his voice, maybe when I'm not seeking his voice, maybe what I'm wondering is just, are you like useful? Or do we find him beautiful? Do we find him beautiful? Whether you speak or not, I'm not leaving your presence. I'd just like to invite us, maybe this, this God, I'd just like to invite you to consider how, how, are you, how are you sitting in his presence? What does your time in the word look like? What does your time in prayer look like? When was the last time you fasted? And by the way, the reason why I'm asking you is so that I don't have to answer any of those questions. Because my answers are always like, oh my gosh, maybe I find more God to be useful than beautiful. But as, as we kind of sit there today, I just want you to imagine that God wants to come stand next to you and say your name. And that your response can be, Lord, here I am. Here I am, what do you want? And it's that person that God uses to change the course of a nation, to set King David in place, to get things back on the right track, and out of his faithfulness eventually comes the Messiah, the person of Jesus, to save us all. The one who wouldn't let go of the presence of God, not in the garden, not on the cross, the one who just wanted to be with us and with the Father and makes a way. Let's, let's pray together. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you liked this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out lacroixchurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.